What's up, divers? Welcome into the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow us on Twitter at Deep Dive FF, on Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com. And with that being said, let's get to the content. What's up, guys? We made it. Finally, on the last division of the NFC, we're going over the Lions, Packers, Bears, and Vikings. This is the last four teams, and then we can move over to the AFC. One quick thing of note, I have noticed in since I did my rankings and projections in the order of divisions, instead of just picking a team that I wanted to look at specifically and then doing them whenever I felt like it, I did notice one thing. All of the NFC powerhouses at every position, except for Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, are in the NFC, especially with Hopkins moving over to the Cardinals from the Texans. That's pretty much the best thing that the AFC had going for them was DeAndre Hopkins. You got the big five running backs in Barkley, Kamara, Zeke, Christian McCaffrey, and Dalvin Cook in the NFC. You got so many high-flying receivers with Julio, Michael Thomas, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, DeAndre Hopkins, and so many more, Devontae Adams. So, you know, props to the NFC. It is definitely better offensively in the league right now than the AFC is. With that said, let's get into it. I'm starting with the Lions. They have a pretty similar team from last year. They did lose Darius Slade to the Eagles, but they did to make up for it, add Desmond Trafant from the Falcons. He's a pretty good corner. And they drafted, obviously, as we all know, Jeff Akuda at three overall. And he profiles to be a elite corner. So, obviously, that's not going to happen right away in his rookie year. I'm not projecting that by any means. But adding Trafant and Okuda should help uh, lessen the blow or the loss of Darius Slay. So they have pretty much a similar defense, similar defensive talent. And their offensive talent is pretty much the exact same as last year, except for the addition of DeAndre Swift. So let's get into Stafford. He has been very consistent over the last five years in his pass attempts and his completion percentage. However, his touchdown rate and yards per completion have gone up and down year to year, kind of like Matt Ryan. Um, not as drastic as Matt Ryan, and Matt Ryan had it uh, had the pass attempts and completion percentage and stuff go up and down. He was all over the board. Stafford, it's just with touchdown rates and yards per completion. But that's been pretty um, variable over the past five years. Since 2011, Stafford's touchdown rate has increased or decreased. So obviously, if it increases one year, then it decreased the next year. Since 2011, it's increased or decreased by an average of 1.6%. That doesn't sound like a lot. 1.6% is nothing compared to 100. But when the average touchdown percentage for a quarterback is somewhere in the 4.5% range, 1.6 is almost half of the average range. So that is a big deal. I mean, if you're throwing 500 passes, that's a difference of seven touchdowns. So that's pretty crazy. And then last year, he had a career high of a 6.5 touchdown rate, percent touchdown rate, which is important to note because last year he was insane while he was playing. If you multiplied his first eight games before he got injured over the next eight games and you just, you know, doubled his points, he was a top five quarterback. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was QB2. I don't have that right in front of me, but I'm pretty sure he was QB2. Um, last year behind only Lamar Jackson at 22 points per game. So you have to expect a decrease because he's been playing in the league for a long time. He's always had good weapons. I mean, he had Calvin Johnson for the longest time. He's always had Golden Tate until recently. He's got Kenny Galladay. He's got Marvin Jones. So it's not like his career high last year was just due to finally having help. You know, he's always had weapons. So it's not something that you can expect to continue. So I'm expecting a decrease back to around his average. Then over the last four years, his yards per completion has been up and down from 11.2 up to 12 down to 10.3, and then last year from 10.3 all the way up to 13.4, also a career high. So he had a career high in touchdown rate and yards per completion last year. 
You can't expect either of those to continue. He's had a long career. Career highs are outliers, just like career lows. So if the pattern continues according to his yards per completion, they should go down this year. But I'm not a big guy on just sticking with a pattern. Usually I like to figure out why or find a better reason than just saying, you know, oh, he went up and down and up and down. So now he's going to go up or whatnot. So I do actually have his yards per completion going down, but it's not just due to the pattern, and you'll see why later on. Um, it would make sense with the lower yards per completion that I'm projecting because he has another receiving back in DeAndre Swift, and obviously receiving running backs run shorter routes, therefore you're going to have a lower yards per completion because they're a lot closer to the line of scrimmage when you're throwing them the ball than other positions like wide receiver, tight end. And same with touchdown rate because he's going to have more checkdowns. So the touchdown rate should also go down because of that. Because I do project them to involve the running back position a little bit more in the passing game with the addition of Swift. I don't think he's just going to take over the receiving or carry or him and Carrion are going to split exactly what they did last year target share wise. I do think they're going to move more targets over to the running backs. So now with Galladay, we're going to go ahead and get into him now. He's been a very consistent 21% target share with Stafford. He's also had a very consistent catch rate, so he's actually very fairly easy to project. You have to expect more of the same. He's Stafford's 1A for touchdowns with Marvin Jones being the 1B, and he is very consistent from game to game. Or not very consistent, but he's much more consistent than Marvin Jones, who we will talk about next. So let's get to Jones. He's also pretty consistent. So something that was cool about this the Lions is that Stafford, unlike other quarterbacks, is pretty consistent with how much he targets each person. So he's been at 21% with Galladay over the last few years and 19 with Marvin. Last year, Marvin had a higher catch rate and a lower yards per reception. So that usually makes sense. When somebody gets a higher catch rate, they're usually closer to the quarterback it's easier to get better targets better quality targets and it's easier to make those receptions um so usually when somebody has a higher catch rate than the year before usually their yards per reception is lower and usually if their yards per reception is way higher than the year before usually their catch rate is lower because they're running deeper routes which are harder for the quarterback to be accurate on and for the receiver to bring in so that's it also makes sense because of golden tate Golden Tate was gone. Yes, they did take Danny Amendola, and he did take over most of that role. But I do think part of the reason Marvin was running shorter routes and stuff was the loss of Golden Tate. So I do think he's going to be more around this higher catch rate receiver with lower yards per reception than what we've seen previously other than last year. Because I don't think Amendola completely takes over that Golden Tate role that um, that was left when Tate left. So I think he's going to kind of share or take part of that role from Golden Tate, Marvin Jones is. So he will run a little more routes closer to the line of scrimmage like last year. So I expect this to continue. But I do think TJ Hawkinson can transition to taking over this role. So it could go either way. I could see Marvin either going back to his past or staying with what he started last year, being a little bit more of a, a possession guy. But... TJ Hawkinson, it's dependent on him. If he develops and hits year two, which we don't usually see from tight ends, usually it's year three, but if he hits year two and Hawkinson becomes a guy for them, and then they have Hawkinson and Amendola, then Marvin's going to be that deep guy 24-7 again, which he'll still put up similar, um, similar numbers because his target share has been consistent no matter where he's been on the field. And with the lower catch rate, you're getting less receptions, but he'll make up for it because he'll get more yardage. And I don't think the touchdowns are really going to change based on that. So Marvin Jones is still a pretty good buy. He's always a good buy. Every single year, he's good value. Nobody seems to ever realize how good Marvin Jones is. I'm not sure if it's just because they think Kenny Galladay hasn't broken out yet and that once he does, Marvin will be irrelevant. That's definitely not the case. So Marvin is always a good value in your drafts. Now let's get to Hawkinson. He is somebody that I do expect to have an increased usage in the offense this year. So last year, he was a rookie, and we know that tight ends take time, especially in their rookie year. I think the only substantial fantasy season from a rookie tight end that we've seen in the last five or so years has been Evan Ingram. And I do believe in TJ Hawkinson's talent. I He was a top 10 pick. He was 10th overall. That's the highest the tight end's been taken in a long time. He is athletically has a good profile. He's got good size. He's got... 
He did have some drops, but he also has the ability to make some amazing catches. And I think that he's just going to take a step forward. I don't think he's going to become a beast yet. I think that's going to be year three, like we've seen with other tight ends. So because of that, I think he's a really good buy low in Dynasty. He had that one big game, and then owners thought they had the guy. They thought they had the next Gronk or Kelsey, which obviously, that's super unfair expectations after one game for a rookie. But a lot of people felt that way. Then when he didn't do anything near his first game versus the Cardinals, everyone was kind of disappointed. All his owners were disappointed. And that carries through the offseason. If you finish weak, that is going to stay in the owner's mind. So you can definitely try to buy low on him right now. Um, so I would do that. I've actually tried to do that with no luck yet. But that's something you want to try. And if Danny Amendola... Um, gets hurt that's going to help him immensely but we don't really project um for injury but he is the main reason i have danny amendola who i'm going to get into next pretty low last year danny amendola was a good person to slide into your flex much like a cole beasley if you needed him from bye weeks um or injuries or whatnot but i don't really think he's going to be that guy anymore because i think tj is going to take a big percentage of what he what amendola had last year um so Amendola is just going to be probably 70% of what he was last year, 80% of what he was last year, because he's going to lose some targets to Hawkinson and to DeAndre Swift. So DeAndre Swift, I think he gets used about 50-50 with carry-on, just in different parts of the game. When you watch Swift, he's a much better receiver than carry-on. Carry-on's not a bad receiver, but Swift is definitely a better receiver, and he's a better route runner. He's quicker. He's more agile. Carry-on is a harder hitter, and I think because of this, Carrion is going to be the bruiser in their offense, and Swift is going to be more the finesse guy. I think you're going to see something similar to the Ingram Camara, where Ingram was the punch and Camara was the. I don't even know what comes after the punch. Let's go to Thunder and Lightning, where Ingram was the Thunder and Camara was the Lightning. I think Carrion's going to be the Thunder, run him up the middle, give him more carries than Swift. Swift will get some, you know, carries as well, but not like Carrion, and then Swift's going to be more of the receiver. They're both going to get used in the receiving game, but I think Swift takes more in that category and Carrion takes more in the rushing. Also, Swift is more efficient in passing metrics. So I think that he's a decent pick for a rookie year, but I'm not as high on him as everyone else. A lot of people are thinking, you know, Carrion's going to be either going to get hurt. A lot of people are just thinking, oh, Carrion's going to get hurt. Swift's going to be huge. Yeah, he does have huge upside if Carrion goes down, and that is something to know, and that's a reason that you can take Swift over guys projected in his similar area, but I don't think that Swift is going to go off or do anything of any super relevance um, with Carrion being on the field, and I don't like to project injury like I've said so many times on this podcast. Um, so Swift is in the like RB3 range for me. And Carrion's actually right behind him. So, like I said, I have Carrion taking more carries, but less receptions. So, in car uh, in standard leagues, I would actually draft Carrion, but um, standard as in non-PPR. And then in PPR leagues or half PPR leagues, I would take Swift. So, let's just get into the projections now for the Lions. Stafford, I have at 19 points per game. Last year, he was at 22. That was with his career highs, like we talked about earlier. I have him for 4,450, 4,450 um, passing yards and 29 touchdowns with very little irrelevant rushing. Then Galladay, I have at 15.6 points per game, about 125 targets, 70 receptions, 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns. Marvin, I have at 12.6. So he's not a bad step away from Galladay. He's a I have him as three points per game different, separate from Galladay, and you can get him. I mean, Galladay's going in the third round, um, sometimes the second when people are super high on him, but he's usually in the third round. Marvin, I, I believe you're getting in the sixth round, so a three-round difference for a three points per game difference is a great steal, so I will take Marvin. Yes, you have to deal with his inconsistencies, but that's fine, and a lot of times you can even get him in the seventh. Then you have Danny Amendola. At, oh, for Marvin, I have 110 targets, about 70 receptions, 900 yards, and 7 touchdowns. Then Amendola, I have at 7.4 points per game. Like I said, he's not going to be relevant, not something I'm going to be looking towards. About 85 targets, 55 receptions, 550 yards, and a touchdown. Then TJ Hawkinson. So last year, he averaged just a little over 6 points per game, and that was with his huge first week game. 
I didn't take out any outliers or anything like that. That's just what his average was all last year. This year, I'm projecting 8.8 .8 points per game. So about a 25% bump or 33% bump from last year. I think th year three is when he's really going to take that step up, when he's going to be a possibly top six tight end. We'll see how the tight end landscapes, landscape looks next year after this one. But I do think he has that potential for sure. I have him for 90 targets, 50 receptions, 600 yards, five touchdowns. Then DeAndre Swift, I told you, him and Carrion are back-to-back -back for me. I'm not lying. DeAndre Swift I have at 10.8. Carrion I have at 10.7 points per game. I did not do that on purpose. I actually do all my projections when I do them on scratch paper with my hands and, uh, you know, pen and paper. And then I just look at, um, like, Pro Football Reference, all my other resources that I use. Um, there's, like, three or four. That's not something I'm really going to get into, but... Um, I use, you know, the computer and I just do everything by hand. And then I put that into my Excel sheet, which pumps out fantasy points. So I had no idea that they were actually going to be next to each other. It just worked out that way. It's kind of funny. But Swift, I have for less yardage, 550 to carry on to 850. Then I have Swift with more t uh, receptions, 40 to carry on to 25 and 400 receiving yards to carry on to 210. Then I split the touchdowns almost down the middle. I have Swift with six, carry on with seven. And that is the Lions. All right, now we're going to get into the Packers. They also, like the Lions, have a pretty similar team makeup. All their draft picks from this year are likely bench players, which I know is super frustrating to Packers fans about the Jordan Love pick and the A.J. Dillon pick in the second round instead of getting a receiver when there's a bunch on the board. But that's how it worked out. And so because of that, they don't really have too many new starters, if any at all, this year. We can... And we may see some defensive improvement because a lot of their defense were either rookie draft picks or big free agent signings. And so with more time and a year under their belt, they may be able to gel better and be a tiny bit better than last year. Because you have Rashawn Gary, he may, the defensive end, develop a bit. Darnell Savage, the safety, may get a little bit better as well. And then the big free agents that you have um, can also you know, get better from last year in year two now. So they drafted Love and Dylan, and I think this was just a way for them to secure the future of the franchise. And I actually was a lot um, more hate hateful on, not hateful, but I didn't like the Love pick a lot more when it first happened. As I went through the Packers and saw a lot of things about Rodgers, I think I understand their Jordan Love pick a lot more than I did initially. Um, you can. I still think that they should have grabbed some receiving weapons for Rodgers, but there's definitely some good points that I will give in a second for why they took Jordan Love. But A.J. Dillon is also, you know, he's Aaron Jones' uh, backup, but we do know that Aaron Jones is coming into his last year, and I think Love and Dillon is supposed to be the future of the franchise. They wanted to secure that. Dylan is like a Derrick Henry type, and Matt LaFleur, who was in Tennessee and is now the Green Bay Packers head coach, he may be trying to actually emulate what he had in Tennessee, which is a strong defense with a heavy-hitting run game. A.J. Dillon is a huge running back. He is huge, just like Derrick Henry, and he's a hard hitter, he's powerful, and the Green Bay Packers had a pretty good defense, a better defense than they've had in a while last year and like I said it might get even a little bit better so I think he's going back to those Tennessee roots so let's talk about Rodgers right he threw the ball 35.5 times per game last year which is not that much it's also not too little it's about league average maybe a tiny bit higher I do expect a bit less because with a slight defensive improvement and the drafting of A.J. Dillon, who I do think is going to get used in his rookie year, not more than Aaron Jones, and I'm not really downgrading Aaron Jones too much from it, but I do think that they are going to commit to the run a little bit more now, and they'll be able to because their defense should be a little bit better. I do think Rodgers will throw the ball slightly less, not too much, not anything crazy. I think we are seeing Aaron Rodgers decline already, and yes, a lot of people are going to be like, yo, we already know that, we are, we've been saying that, but it's a lot worse than I thought. Because it's not just like, oh, we're not seeing as big, crazy plays that we've seen in the past. We are also just seeing less accurate and less explosive Aaron Rodgers. So I think the Packers saw this as well, and that's why they drafted Jordan Love. Because they think Rodgers is going to be done faster than a lot of other people do. 
At least that's my take on it. Because the last two years, Aaron Rodgers has had a completion percentage lower than his career average by 2.5%. His touchdown rate over the last two years has been 1.5% lower than his career average. Those are big percentages, especially the 1.5% touchdown rate. Um, especially when, yeah, they have Aaron Jones and their running game's a little bit better, so that could be part of it. But I think that if you combine what we've been seeing with Aaron Rodgers and what his stats show you, you can make the case to say Rodgers is no longer an elite quarterback. He's a good quarterback. He's still one of the best in the game, and I'm not throwing any shade towards him. But Rodgers, part of the reason he's been so good was because he has this Mahomes-esque or I should say Mahomes has some Rodgers-esque because Rodgers was first, but has those type of plays, those crazy plays that you can only make with contorting your body, side arms, throwing across your body, doing all these crazy things that take extreme athleticism. And he's getting older, and when you see a quarterback who survived on their athletic gifts and their miraculous stuff in that category less than you know, Tom Brady, like with form or Peyton Manning with form, they're going to age a lot quicker in terms of how good they are in the NFL. And I think that's happening with Rodgers. So I think that's why they took love. And I don't think that Rodgers is really going to be a great fantasy quarterback. I think he's going to be a back-end QB1, just like he was last year. Now let's talk about Devontae Adams. The fact that the Packers added basically nobody in the draft is good for Adams' floor immensely. He's... Actually, the person that I have with the most targets in the NFL this year. Obviously, I haven't done the AFC yet, but just thinking off the top of my head really quickly, I don't think that there's anybody in the AFC that I'll be able to project for more than 165 targets, which is what I have Devontae Adams for right now. And that's even with me having the Packers throwing a little bit less this year than last year. So if they end up coming out and throwing a lot, if their defense goes to shambles, if they have injuries on their defense... Um, if anything like that happens and Rodgers ends up having to throw the ball a bunch, Devontae Adams could have 180 targets and he could easily be the wide receiver one. So that's really good for him. Just the pure volume that he's going to get, the pure chemistry that he has developed with Rodgers as well. And he had a near 30% target share last year. I'm projecting the same thing for this year because he also had that in 2018. 30% 2018, 30% 2019. Guess what I'm projecting for this year? 30%. Now we have Devin Funches. He's a pretty good, decent ad for the Packers, and I do think that was a good signing. Hopefully that's not one of the reasons that they decided not to draft a receiver because I don't think that he's good enough or going to make a, a big enough of an impact for that to be something that they can point to as a reason. But I do think he should get a decent target share. Last year, Green Bay rotated Kumaro, Lazard, Marquez, Valdez, Scantling, and Geronimo Allison all. They rotated all four of those guys in and out of lineups all through the year. I think that's going to settle down this year. I think it's going to be Lazard as the two, Funches as the three. I think it's going to be a lot more solid and less fluid than it was last year, especially with Ger Geronimo Allison gone. And MVS, I think they're starting to realize he's not the guy that they wanted him to be. So I think Funches is the three. He's going to get about a 15% target share. That's what I have him projected for. And then Lazard, is, I think, is going to be the two. Last year, Lazard had a 13% target share when he started getting involved. He should be more involved. He earned it, and as we've seen, Aaron Rodgers likes to build chemistry and trust with his receivers before he gives them a lot of targets. I think he's built that with Lazard. So I think Lazard is actually going to be the wide receiver too. He's going to be decent um, on the Packers next year. Then we have Aaron Jones. Some people are freaking out about A.J. Dillon. And they think Aaron Jones is going to be horrible this year. A lot of people have him outside of their top 10, top 12. I wouldn't go that far. I think he's going to be really good. I only think that A.J. Dillon hurts about 20% of what Aaron Jones did last year. 25%, 30% max. But I projected it around 25%. Aaron Jones had about 19.5 points per game last year. I have him for 15.5 points per game last year. So I'm not projecting a huge decrease because of A.J. Dillon, but I do think he's going to get hurt a little bit. He's not going to be affected in his receiving game by A.J. Dillon, and they didn't draft any receivers. So Aaron Jones is still going to have a good um, role in the receiving game. 
I do think A.J. Dillon's going to affect his carry totals, though, and he's going to poach some touchdowns. That's not really anything new. You had Jamal Williams poaching touchdowns, but I do think that A.J. Dillon will take a few more carries than Jamal Williams did and might poach one or two touchdowns extra. Then you have, so I still think Aaron Jones is a RB1, just a back-end RB1. Then you have Jay Sternberger. A lot of people are excited about him. I'm not really buying it. We haven't really seen much from him. I mean, he didn't play in the regular season. He had like three decent moments in the playoffs last year. I mean, I really don't think he's going to step up as much as others do. He's not somebody I have any interest in. He's actually the lowest ranked tight end that I have projected when I got to the uh, the Packers and projected them. That's not to say I think he's going to be the worst tight end. There are tight ends that I don't project at all because I just know from the start that they're not going to be involved. Like, for example, the Cardinals tight ends, I didn't bother really projecting because they run four wide receiver sets a lot of the time and the rest of the time they're usually in three wide receiver sets they don't usually use their tight ends in the receiving game so I didn't really project tight ends for the the Cardinals I mean I did but they're in the other category I didn't make a note of them individually to talk about so out of all the people I did talk about and notice individually Jace Sternberger is my lowest ranked tight end then AJ Dillon I I'm very interested in him in dynasty formats because it's very, very plausible that they do not pay Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon just takes over the backfield next year. I would take A.J. Dillon ahead of Keyshawn Vaughn. If you guys have seen on Instagram or Twitter, I am a huge Rojo guy. I think Rojo is the man in Tampa. Yes, I know they drafted Vaughn and I know that Rojo was drafted before Bruce Arians came in. I know all of that. I'm actually, I'm a Bucks fan. I watch every single play. Um, Rojo is a lot better than people give him credit credit for, and he is much better than Vaughn, in my opinion. Like, you look at Vaughn's college highlights, you look at Rojo's highlights, Rojo sig- looks significantly better, in my opinion. Also, um, there's, there's just so many stats. Rojo was so much better above the rest of the field of the Bucks running backs last year, and he did it behind a not-so-good offensive line. This year, you have Tom Brady. You have increased weapons. You have so many things that I think are going to make it even easier to run. I think he's going to be very good this year. Um, So I'm definitely taking A.J. Dillon ahead of Vaughn. I don't think he's going to do better in redraft. I'm not going to take him ahead of Vaughn in redraft, obviously. I do think Vaughn will get more work than A.J. Dillon this year. But the the potential that A.J. Dillon holds to be an RB1, I think, is higher in the future for dynasty formats than it is for Vaughn. He could get 200 plus carries as early as next year. And I think LaFleur sees him as Derrick Henry and he's going to use him that way too soon. So here are my projections for the Packers. I have Rodgers at 18.5 points per game. You'll notice that this division, I'm not very high in any of the quarterbacks. Um, I have Stafford in a decent range at 19 points per game. Um, I remember I don't project turnovers, so you're going to knock down everyone's points per game a little bit on turnovers, depending on how your league scores it. And that's why I don't include turnovers. You just, you know, in your head who the turnover guys are, so you could just knock them down a bit, but Aaron Rodgers I have at 18.5. So a little bit under Stafford and right now them two, and then the other quarterbacks that we're going to get into Kirk Cousins and Nick Foles, which is the guy I went for projecting in Chicago. I don't think any of them are going to be top 10 quarterbacks. Stafford will be the closest. But Rodgers I have for 4,000 yards, 27 touchdowns, 200 200 rushing yards, and one rushing touchdown. Then I have Devontae Adams also at 18.5 points per game. I have him at my wide receiver three right now. I think the only person that has a chance to hop him at this point that's in the AFC is probably Tyreek Hill. Um, And I don't think that Tyreek Hill is going to hop him. It'll be close. So Adams is a locked-in top-five receiver, and I think that he'll probably finish at wide receiver three for me. I have him at 165 targets, 105 receptions, 1,300 yards, 10 touchdowns. Then we have Alan Lazard, who I told you I think is going to solidify himself as the wide receiver two at 11 points per game. 95 targets, 60 receptions, 800 yards, six touchdowns. Devin Funches will be the wide receiver three, 7.9 points per game, uh, 80 targets, 45 receptions, 600 yards, four touchdowns. I don't really think he's going to be that great. I think he's a little bit better than Danny Amendola. 
Um, if you need somebody in a pinch and you're in a tough situation, I think he's somebody that you can grab and hope for a touchdown because he is a big target and somebody that could always pull in a touchdown or two in a given game from Rodgers. So he'll be decent in that aspect, but I don't really um, like him in terms of drafting him or season long or anything, just a plug and play if you need something. Then Jay Sternberger, I told you he's my lowest guy of tight ends I've projected, 6.6 points per game, only 60 targets, 40 receptions, 500 yards, three touchdowns. Then Aaron Jones, I have at 15 and a half points per game, 1,000 rushing yards, 40 receptions, 350 receiving yards, 13 touchdowns. So that is also one thing. I do have Aaron Jones for 15.5 points per game, but that's on the back of 13 touchdowns. He has the most projected touchdowns for me of the guys in his range of points per game, which gives him a higher risk rating. If a lot of his points are coming from projected touchdowns, which touchdowns are usually one of the hardest things to project, um, much more, uh, much harder to project that than carries or target share. That's something that you have to be careful with. So I probably will not be drafting Aaron Jones. I'll probably be taking guys in that I have projected around him with a lower touchdown count because they have a higher potential, a higher ceiling. I've already kind of taken away that ceiling from Aaron Jones with my touchdown count. I do think that's what he's going to get is 13, but obviously none of any fantasy experts are right on everything. So that's something you want to keep in mind. Then AJ Dillon, I have, remember I said he's not great for redraft this year, but he's a good dynasty guy that I like to look at. 6.5 points per game, 550 rushing yards, so about half of Aaron Jones in the rushing game, then almost nothing in the receiving game. Five receptions, 50 yards, and seven touchdowns total. I do think that he's going to be somebody that they might bring in in the goal line. He's a lot bigger and a harder hitter right at the middle compared to Aaron Jones. And that is the Green Bay Packers. All right, halfway through, we're going to keep it going. Minnesota Vikings. They lost all three of their starting corners from last year. All three. That is something that you never see in the NFL. It's actually kind of crazy to me that they let that happen, but it's also kind of a tough situation for them with what they're trying to do and work under their cap space that they have left. They also haven't signed Everson Griffin, so and there's a very good chance that they don't. So you lose three starting corners, and you lose your primetime defensive end. Yes, they still have Daniil Hunter, which is a very good defensive end. He had double-digit sacks last year. But you're losing one of your bookends. And that's going to hurt, especially when you're losing three corners. Your three starting corners. So at best, at best, they have an average defense. And because of this, they're likely to throw more in line with their 2018 season when they threw 606 times than their season last year in 2019, where they only threw for 470 times. And a lot of people like to point out the coaching changes and stuff like that as why they're not passing as much. They're going to the running game. Yes, I do think that plays a big factor, but you always have to realize that when it comes to coaching staffs, they can only stick with their tendencies when they have the luxury to do so. When your defense is nowhere near what it has been, it's hard for me to believe that you're going to be able to run the ball as much as you did the year when your defense was pretty good. Yes, their defense wasn't elite last year, but it was a very good defense. And it's a defense that they could trust that if they just keep running the ball, keep the defense fresh, they could pull it out, pull out wins and pull out stops in the end. So I think they're probably going to throw, the Vikings are going to throw in the middle, but slightly more towards the 2018 season. So slightly more towards the 600 than the 470. So I'm projecting 570, 571 passes. That might be a little high. And with some conversations I've had with some people, it might be a little high. Maybe they're, um, maybe they're going to throw around 540 times. That's only one time less or two times less per game. So it's not something I'm going to stress over too much, but... It is something to keep in mind that it is possible that the receiving game is not going to be as good as I'm projecting, but it's also very possible that it's even better. So just like anything, you know, it's we're trying to find the right middle between very many differing opinions. So I have them projected for 571. I know other people that have them projected for the 400s. If you want to take that middle ground and go at 530 and be safe, and you would rather take a consensus approach than just looking at what I'm doing, that's fine but I'm going to move forward with 571. I have Kirk having a lower completion percentage 
um, because he's going to have to try to make more plays to stay in games. And what you see usually is when a quarterback's back is against the wall and they're having to throw to stay in games, they're taking deeper shots, they're you know trying to find their way out of the pocket, trying to avoid getting sacked, and they're taking bigger risks. That leads to a lower completion percentage. I also think that he's going to have, because of the loss of Stephon Diggs, yes, they did draft Justin De- Jefferson, but I don't think in his rookie year he's going to be able to fill the shoes of Stephon Diggs, one of the best route runners in this game. <clears throat> I do think that he's going to have a lower touchdown rate because he's losing such an explosive game-breaking option in Diggs, and he's going to have lower yards per completion because Diggs was very good after the catch. I do think he will throw a good enough amount to have some good fantasy days, but I don't think he's going to be somebody that you're going to be going week to week from for Kirk Cousins, or from week to week sticking with in your lineup. Then Dalvin Cook. Losing Diggs is really going to hurt him. He The biggest deep threat on that team is gone, and it's going to allow defenses to focus more on Dalvin Cook because now you're not going to worry about a rookie receiver, especially in the beginning of the season, that much. So you're looking at Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook. For a defense, that's very easy to plan against. Especially with Kirk Cousins not being an all-world talent at quarterback, it's very easy to focus on only two options. And I think that's going to make it very hard for Dalvin Cook. I think he's going to have... I still have him, don't get me wrong, and you'll see this later. I still have him at a lot of points per game. I still think he's going to be an elite running back and a very good RB1. But I do think he's going to struggle a little bit compared to last year. I think he's going to have a lower yards per carry, a lower yards per reception, and one good thing that does come out of it, and part of the reason that I still think he's going to be very good, is I do think losing Diggs, Justin Jefferson is not going to pick up all those targets. I do think that Dalvin Cook is going to have a higher target share because a lot of times when Kirk Cousins is going to be under pressure, he might uh, he doesn't have Diggs as an option anymore, right, in his uh, reads. He just has Thielen, now Jefferson, Rudolph, Irv Smith, and Dalvin Cook. And so I do think that Dalvin Cook is going to get more targets because of the loss of Diggs. I do think he's going to get some of those Diggs targets. Then we have Adam Thielen. Diggs, over the last two years, had about 23% target share from Kirk Cousins. Thielen had about 25% in 2018, but he was hurt most of 2019. I think Adam Thielen is a lock for 25% targets because, once again, Diggs is gone. Thielen is going to be the guy. And I don't think Thielen's as injury-prone as people think he is. Uh, I've heard a lot of people recently, for some reason, thinking that Thielen is, like, this super injury-prone guy. Maybe it's they think, like, Dalvin is rubbing off on him or something. Uh, that's not the case at all. Adam Thielen's only missed six games in the last three years. He's a very stable guy, in my opinion. And I think he's going to be a very, very high floor wide receiver in fantasy. I think he's ha- he definitely has potential to be a top five receiver because of the work he's going to get. But I think he has a very good floor and it's a very good bet for him to be a wide receiver one this year. Now let's talk about Jefferson. The rookie from LSU, 18 touchdowns in his last college season with Joe Burrow. He's definitely not going to get the same target share Diggs got, but I still think he's going to get a lot. He is the number two option behind Thielen, depending on whether you want to count Dalvin Cook or not, but I still think he's going to get more targets than Cook, so he is the number two option in the receiving game. Then, I he also poses a decent threat, not as big as Diggs, but he is a decent touchdown threat, like I just mentioned, 18 touchdowns with Burrow in his last season, and I think he's going to lead the rookie receivers in targets. I haven't projected the AFC yet, it's possible, I don't think think it's plausible but it's possible that um jerry judy will end up projecting higher for targets than justin jefferson for me um rugs definitely will not um and i think that's about it mims i don't think will either so definitely lavisca chanel won't michael pittman oh that's a good one actually michael pittman has a chance to be the highest targeted rookie receiver Um, And I will get back to you on that once I go through the AFC. But as of right now, I do have Justin Jefferson projected for the the most rookie receiver receptions and targets behind Jalen Rager and CeeDee Lamb. So I think he's going to be pretty good. And I think he'll be decent in redraft, but I don't like drafting rookie receivers because a lot of times they start slow. We kind of saw outliers last year with Terry McLaurin, but 
usually rookie receivers start slow and they pick up steam. A lot of times people will drop them. So I would, or you can just try and, you know, buy low for them on the trade market. That's what I prefer doing with rookie receivers, unless it's dynasty, of course. If it's dynasty, you can make a case for drafting him as the wide receiver two or three behind Judy and Lamb. Then we have Irv Smith. He did start to overtake Kyle Rudolph for the tight end, uh, the main tight end in the receiving game for the Vikings last year. I do think he does that again, except this time it's going to be through the whole season, not just the back half. I don't think it's going to be enough for him to break out yet, but I do think he will be the better of the two tight ends. So I think it's going to make Kyle Rudolph not very fantasy relevant. And Kyle Rudolph is at the back end of his career anyways. He's going to get replaced by Irv. He's already getting replaced by Irv slowly. So I don't think that Kyle Rudolph is going to do anything that makes you want to ever put him in a lineup. I don't think Irv will either, but I do think that he's a a very good dynasty hold. Um, If you want to try to buy him, you can, but I don't. We don't really know what they're going to do with Rudolph. They could re-sign him when his contract's up. They might trade him. We don't really know what's going on with Kyle. So it's kind of a risk to buy Irv. But if you have him, I'm definitely going to hold him because he does have some good potential. So here are my projections for the Vikings. Kirk Cousins, I have at 18.2 points per game for 4,150 passing yards, 27 touchdowns, 100 rushing yards, and one touchdown. Then Dalvin Cook, I have at 20 points per game. I have him at 1150 rushing yards, 75 receptions. Like I said, I think he's going to get used more in the passing game with the loss of digs. 500 receiving yards, a lower yards per reception because they're going to be able to key on him more. And 13 touchdowns. Adam Thielen, I have at 16.8 points per game, 150 targets. And like I said, I think he has one of the best floors in fantasy. I don't think you can go wrong with picking Adam Thielen. Um, 11 150 receiving yards and nine touchdowns. Then JJ or Justin Jefferson, I have at 12.2 points per game, 115 targets, 70 receptions, just under a thousand yards, 950, and five touchdowns. Irv Smith, I have at 8.3 points per game, 75 targets, 55 receptions, 550 yards, and four touchdowns. Kyle, I have just under that with 65 targets. 50 receptions, 450 receiving yards, 4 touchdowns, 7.3 points per game. And with that said, we got one team left, and that's the Chicago Bears. Alright, this is the last one, and then we're completely done with the NFC. The Bears, I am basing my projections off of Nick Foles leading this team for 16 games. PFF, Pro Football Focus, predicts that he wins the starting job. Not only does PFF predict that he wins the starting job, but I also predict that he wins the starting job. Not only does PFF and myself predict Foles wins the starting job, but Vegas does too, because right now Nick Foles is the betting favorite to win the job. So with all three of those things in mind, I personally think that it's safe or pretty safe to project Foles to be the starter. And even if Mitch Trubisky starts the season, I don't see him starting more than three, four games maybe five games at the max, and then I think Foles will take over because Trubisky is exactly what I think most of us believe he is at this point, and he's an athletic quarterback that can sometimes save plays with his legs, but usually he's not great in terms of making reads or being accurate, and I don't really think that he's the guy to lead that franchise in the future. And they traded for Foles, and Foles is also kind of expensive, so I think that they did that for a reason. I think Foles will end up winning out that job. And you also have to remember Matt Nagy did not draft Mitch Trubisky, so he doesn't have any obligation to start him. Outside of Nick Foles, the Chicago Bears team is pretty much in the same state. So pretty interesting, actually. Other than the Vikings losing all of their defensive pieces, the Bears, Packers, and Lions all have pretty similar team makeups this year as they did last year, which has not been the case for a lot of teams that I've gone over so far. So it has been somewhat nicer to project these teams, except... Obviously, with the Bears, it's you have the risk of projecting Foles or Trubisky. You have to pick your poison. I'm going with Foles. I did project him for 16 games. He probably will throw less than the Bears quarterbacks did combined last year because, remember, Trubisky didn't start all the games. They had Chase Daniels in there. Or Chase Daniel? Is it Daniels? Daniel? Whatever his name is. They had him in there a few games, too. But they combined what the, the quarterbacks combined for last year. I think Nick Foles is going to throw a little bit less than that. And I think it's because 
he's a better quarterback, they're going to have a more efficient offense, and they're going to be able to lean on the run more because of the efficient offense that I think they're going to have. I don't think they're going to be game breakers by any means. I just think they're going to be better than last year. I also think they're going to have the lead more often in the fourth quarter because Nick Foles is going to be safer with the ball. And I think that's going to help Monty be better in fantasy, except I do have some interesting things to say about Monty. And some of you are going to be really upset about it, but it is what it is. Allen Robinson. Last year, he had a 27% target share. Foles is going to be the best quarterback Allen Robinson has ever had, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. Nick Foles has also never targeted one receiver that much. I was going from team to team. I didn't go all the way back to when Foles first was in Philly, but I went over like the last five or six years, and Foles never targeted any receiver that much. But you can also make the argument that just like Foles is the best quarterback Robinson has had, Robinson is the best wide receiver Foles has ever had, or at least had in a very long time. Plus, um, Zach Ertz was his guy in Philly, right? Chicago doesn't have that, so it's very possible that the type of target share Ertz was seeing is what Allen Robinson is going to see, maybe even more. So I do actually believe that he will, despite the fact that Foles has never targeted one wide receiver this much, I still think that Allen Robinson will get around that 27 percent target share. I'm not exactly sure, but I'm going to go with it because I don't think it's going to drop below 25. It's not going to go above 30. It's going to be in that range, right? So I'm going with 27%. Then we have Anthony Miller. Week five on. So after week five or week five and then continuing. So technically after week four, he had almost an 18% target share. I think that's going to be similar to what he gets this year. I think he'll be an okay receiver, but not somebody that I'm really going to be drafting or putting in a lot of equity into. Then we have Tariq Cohen. He's been very consistent in targets, and he's always been around the same range, around that 90-95 range. I think one year he barely broke 100, but he's been super consistent in the receiving game with his targets. I do think he's going to get a higher yards per reception this year because their offense is going to be better. And... Last year, he had a 5.8 yards per reception. In 2018, so just the year before his 5.8 last year, he had 10.2. 10.2 compared to 5.8, that is insane. And I think that just speaks to why Trubisky is not the guy. Because yeah, Trubisky was there in 2018 and 2019, but he was progressively worse last year than 2018. I think Nagy was able to hide more of his deficiencies and create bigger, more explosive plays that first year when Nagy was with Trubisky. I don't think that's something he's going to continue to be able to do, just like we didn't see it last year. I do think that Tariq is still going to get around the same amount of targets he always gets, but his efficiency is going to be much better this year than it was last year because the offense will be better as a whole, and that always helps the running back in both the receiving game and the run game. Then we have David Montgomery. I am projecting him to have more carries this year than last year because I think they're going to be leading more games. They're going to be behind much less. They they have, for the most part, the same defense. And I think that he's also going to have a better yards per carry. But here's the thing about David Montgomery, and this is why I will not be drafting him. Despite, despite the fact that I have David Montgomery projected for around 280 carries, Right now, I believe I have him projected for either the, I think, behind Zeke. Pretty sure behind Zeke, David Montgomery is my second most projected uh, carries. He's definitely in my top five. Um, and by the he'll definitely be in my top five by the time I'm done with the AFC, just knowing the running backs that are in the AFC. David Montgomery is going to be in the top five in carries, according to my projections this year. And he's not even a quality RB2. He's not. Last year, he had less than four yards per carry, but it was off a huge sample size. Huge. I believe it was 3.8, if I'm not mistaken. 3.8 yards per carry off more than 200 carries. So you're already, you can't plead the, you know, he didn't get the ball enough, like we did with Rojo, like I did with Rojo. Um, And yeah, I think he's going to get, he's going to be better with Fulzite quarterback. But do you think he's going to be somebody that can go from 3.8 to 4.8? 
Because guess what? David Montgomery's not going to be used in the receiving game. And I'm pretty sure like 95% of us play in either half PPR or PPR. And even if you don't, you still get points for the yardage of in the receiving game that a running back accumulates. I don't think he's going to have much of that at all. So despite the fact that I have him projected with more carries than a lot of other um, analysts, I still have him very, very low. And that's with me being on the high upside part of the rushing game. And I'm still projecting, like I said, a better yards per carry. I'm even projecting an increase in touchdowns. Despite all that, he's barely an RB2 right now. And he's probably going to get knocked out of the RB2s or just be at the very back end RB2s after I do the AFC running backs. So that was my case against Dave Montgomery, and I'll give you my numbers on him. But last of note, I'm not going to bother with the tight ends between Cole Komet, the rookie. We don't really see rookies come on strong. And Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham is a shell of himself. I really am baffled by the fact that they signed him and paid him that much money. Um, I don't expect relevance from either. They're both going to hurt each other, and I don't think either of them are going to be somebody that Foles consistently goes to. So here are my projections. Foles I have at 16.2 points per game, 3,800 passing yards, 24 touchdowns, with pretty much irrelevant rushing numbers, 50 rushing yards and one touchdown. Then I have, this is my David Montgomery projection, 13 points per game off 280 or so carries, 1,200 rushing yards, 20 receptions, 150 receiving yards, 9 touchdowns. He just, to me, does not possess the potential in the range of where he's being drafted that I want in a running back. Yeah, he has a decent floor with carries. But it's not really going to be much higher of a four from last year. And last year, there were so many bad games that we saw from David Montgomery. So I'm not drafting him at all. Then we have Tariq Cohen. I have him at 12 points per game, just under David Montgomery, despite the fact that Montgomery has 200 carries more than him. Tariq Cohen, I have for 350 rushing yards, 70 receptions, 600 receiving yards, five touchdowns total. Then Anthony Miller, I have at 10.5 points per game. 95 targets, 60 receptions, 750 receiving yards, 5 touchdowns. And then Allen Robinson, I have at 16 points per game. He's in my Mike Evans range at uh, and the, the Mike Evans-Kenny Galladay range at 145 targets, 90 receptions, 1,200 yards, 8 touchdowns. So that is my Bears projections that finishes the NFC. And I hope you guys enjoy the the slightly different thing that I do with, you know, giving you guys breakdowns of where I'm expecting increases and decreases among quarterbacks, uh, yards per carry for running backs, touchdowns, you know, all that stuff. I know that it is very specific and it is very, um, it may not be something that you see often. And I hope that that is something that makes me different. And if you guys enjoy it, I would really, really appreciate if you guys like, subscribe, and even write a review um, and give me a good rating if you like it. And even if there's something that you don't like, you want me to work on, you want to send me a message or put it in a review, that's awesome too. Anything helps. Just like all of us, we're trying to increase the knowledge and entertainment in the fantasy community. So let's try and help each other out. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. Peace out.